Once again, good morning, brethren. Let me add my welcome to our visitors. We do have a thin crowd this morning. I know we have several families that are missing, so I particularly appreciate your presence with us. Our study today based on Romans, the seventh chapter. But we begin back in Genesis, the third chapter. And let's take a look at the first couple of verses of that. Genesis 3, beginning in verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, You shall not eat of, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Have you ever had that devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other? You know the scenario all too well because we are people. You really want to, you really wish something could be, plays in your mind. You know it's not right, it's wrong. You really shouldn't, but you want to. Do you see the back and forth? But you have to decide, am I? Or am I not going to think, say, or do whatever it is you're contemplating. Temptations, they try us every day, sometimes almost uncontrollably. Is it a battle of flesh, or is it a battle of the spirit, or is it a combined effort? The concept of that devil and angel on your shoulders, which I found out in my study, to be a little humorous, is Sigmund Freud. Sigmund Freud came up with this idea of an id, which sounds like, it's id, which sounds like stoop id, ego, and superego. By definition, the definition of id in, in Freudian theory, the part of the psyche associated with its instinctual, repressed, or antisocial desires, usually sexual or aggressive. In his effort to satisfy these, satisfy these desires, the id comes into conflict with the social and the practical constraints enforced by ego and superego. And that's a whole lot of Freudian conversation. The concept of a devil or an angel is basically Freud's theory dealing with these three things. The id on one side, the superego on the other, and your ego in the middle trying to balance between the two to make a decision. Ego id, ego, and superego are the three parts of the psychic apparatus defined by Freud. It's an imaginary devil, it's not real, that appears on the shoulder. In the case of Eve, it was the real devil. He was tempting her. She succumbed to the temptation. But it ignores the possible consequences and focuses on the possible pleasures that come from a certain behavior. 
It lacks morals. It's self-serving. Freud described it as striving to bring about the satisfaction of instinctual needs. While the imaginary angel is known as a superego, it's also known as someone's conscious. Now I could go on and on about Freud and his theory and his concepts. The problem lies with there's no way to support it. We cannot prove the existence of an id or a superego. All we are aware of is when we make a decision, there's an inner conflict that we listen to. What's that based on? The things that we just read in Romans, the seventh chapter. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. That's a fact. That's what Romans 7, 14 says. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not. But what I hate to do, I do. Romans 7, 15. We have that conflict that goes back and forth between us and our minds with our conscience. These are facts, brethren, not a Freudian idea. The word of God tells us that these things exist within us. Man tried to describe it in different ways, but the scriptures make it very clear. Paul discusses in this passage that was read this morning the contrast between the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit. He talks about the struggle between the two, and we all have those struggles on a daily basis. He says that sin is what is responsible for our fleshly desires. But the flesh, he says that the mind of the spirit delights after the law of God. But the flesh, usually after the law of sin. He concludes that it is only through Jesus Christ can we be delivered from the body of death. We all have inner demons. We all have these things every day that we have to deal with, whether they be physical, whether they be spiritual, whether they be sexual, whether they be financial, whether, whatever they are, we deal with them on a daily basis. My inner demons may not be the same as yours, but some of us share the same demons because we are all people. We live similar lives. We all come to church together. We all have jobs or had jobs, maybe retired. Many of us have spouses. We have children. We live similar lives because of the nature of being people. I'm not talking about supernatural spirits that take control of the body. There are some people who believe that these things do still occur. First Corinthians clearly teaches that those things stopped. I'm talking about the things that we struggle with as Christians each day. We were all people before we became Christians. And we are still people, even though we are Christians. We still have the same temptations, the same desires. But now we have a devil who had you before you were a Christian. We all lived a life of sin until we were immersed in the water of baptism and forgiven of our sins after we repented and called upon the Lord. But now we have a devil who had you lost us to Christ because we became Christians who now makes it his purpose to come after us because we are Christians. Prior to, he had us by the ankle and kept us down because we lived in sin. When we were freed from our sin through baptism and entered into the body of Christ, he now has a higher goal because for him it's greater to pull back those that are members of the body. Having an awareness of these struggles, brethren, or as I say over and over in my class on Sunday morning, 
not just an awareness, that identify them. Have an identification of the things that you struggle with so that you can name them, so that you can know what they are. Because when you know what they are and you can identify them, then you will be better equipped to deal with them through your knowledge of the word of Jesus Christ. And we encourage each other to continue in that fight. It will help us to go a long way toward defeating those inner demons. We support one another as brethren. We are a tremendous source of one another, to one another. Moreover, knowing what God's word says about such things will help us to avoid sin as well. Psalms 119 and 11 says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. I suggest to you that the best way that we can have to overcome these struggles, these trials, these temptations, or whatever you want to call them that we, we battle with each day, to have a knowledge of God's word. I'm going to share a few of the demons that are within today, but just a few. There are many, many more. The first is the demon of selfishness. Selfishness is defined as devoted to or caring only for oneself. Concerned primarily with your own interest, benefits, welfare, etc., regardless of others. That's according to dictionary.com. It's easy to let our own personal desires dominate our decisions and disregard the feelings and thoughts of others. This doesn't mean that there are never legitimate reasons to be concerned for yourself. We all have to make a living. We all have to have provisions. We have to, the men have to provide for their families as, as we're taught. There's reason to have consideration of self, but only being concerned for oneself, don't let that become the dominant force in our lives. We have to be so considerate of others the Bible doesn't talk directly about selfishness per se, but it tells us all about the attitudes involved in selfishness and unselfish behavior. Consider 2 Timothy, the third chapter, verses 2 through 5. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce-bakers, breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. That's a long list of things, brethren. That's a lot of name-calling of who we can be. Not necessarily who we are, but who we can be. These are the things that we have to struggle with every day not to be. Au contraire. 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, verse 34 says, Let no man seek his own, but each seek his neighbor's good. Philippians, the 2nd chapter, verse 4, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Galatians 6, 2, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. We have to get ourselves out of the way to be able to help others. We don't have to let the inner demon of selfishness control our decisions. Another demon that we carry within us is greediness. Greediness is an excessive desire for wealth. I, I wrestle with that once in a while. I like nice things. I like to have a little jingle in my pocket. I'd like to have a lot of jingle in my pocket. But we have to be careful. We have to be content. Greediness is an excessive desire. Nothing wrong with having a desire for nice things or to be able to provide well for your family. Paul 
talked to the Philippians. And in chapter 4, he described a little bit of his life, the time when he had and the times when he didn't have. He said in, in verse 13, I am not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned, key word, learned, to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. The key word there is he learned. And how did he learn it? <coughs> Excuse me. He learned it in verse 13 when he says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Or as we know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. <clears throat> Many in our society today have the inner demon of greediness. It always comes, brethren, about power or money or both. The ladder that we try to climb to be superior to others, to be dominant and powerful. But sometimes the quiet and the more meek and the less we have and living the good life and living a clean life and giving that appearance from within, not outwardly, but from within, it will show outwardly. That's what we strive for. No matter what you have to be content, to be godly. Our society today lives on this greediness. They must have this item or that item. They must have more money. They have to have more toys. Look, I like my toys as much as anybody else, but we have to be so very careful. Greediness can blind a person so that it makes enemies out of friends and family. It will cause us to get back on promises cause us to lie, cause us to steal. Those words shouldn't be taken lightly because that's what the Lord says. We should always try to abide and learn what his word talks about. Talks about. Paul talks about it in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. But they that will be rich fall into the temptation and a snare, and many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money is the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. It's all in the attitude and the why. They have erred from faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. In contrast to the inner demon of greediness, there is an attitude of contentment. And Paul teaches us that in Philippians. There was to be content. In 1 Timothy, he told, he told him, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we can certainly carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. He teaches us through his word how we should view these different things. In Hebrews, he said, let your conversation be without covetousness. And be content with such things as ye have. For he said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. As long as we have the things we need, we should be content. The more we should be grateful for, the less we should be just as grateful for because we have our needs met. The third demon that I want to talk about is pride. We fill ourselves up with this pride. Pride is having a higher opinion of oneself than is warranted, a lack of humility. The inner demon of pride can also often cause us to be baited into what we normally would not do. The old child's game of I dare draws directly upon pride. I dare you. That's what that little devil does. I dare you. Go ahead. No, don't do it. Oh, I'm more. No, 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 no. And we have to wrestle with it all the time. 
our pride will get in the way. The proverb writer tells us that pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18. Paul said in Romans, the 12th chapter, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to more think himself more highly than he ought, than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. So you hear these words that I'm saying, and they sound kind of strong. They sound very instructive. And that doesn't come from me, brethren. It comes from the word of God, from Paul himself, from the Lord himself. And I believe that if he didn't know, not that he didn't think, but he didn't know that this would be an issue to man, to mankind, that these things wouldn't be necessary. The fact that he has written them and said so much about it tells me that it's something that we all struggle with every day of the week. And we need constant reminders as people. He knows that. The Lord's Supper he sets before us, and he commands us on the first day of each week, by command and by example of the early New Testament church, that we do this because we need a constant reminder. We need that reminder to commemorate his death and suffering on the cross. So he instructs us every week to refresh our thoughts in that way. And in, in a like way, he repeats over and over to us, because we are people, a reminder to do this and not do that. And so many of Paul's writings is, is do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. Kind of sounds like that devil and that angel yakking in your ears, doesn't it? But we're all subject to. Humility is the opposite of that pride. And it'll go a long way towards fighting this this demon. When we have that pride, we say, oh, the arrogance, I can do it. But with the humility, James writes, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And we sing that song, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And we sing that song. There's a reason we sing it. When we hear to sing psalms and hymns, we encourage one another. We open our vulnerabilities to one another by singing to one another. We fill our hearts for each other by singing those songs. And I suggest to you that James 4.10 says the word of God also inspires us to better behaviors as people. Jesus said, and whoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall, he that shall humble himself shall be exalted in Matthew 23. We can fight these inner demons by practicing humility. And the last one that I'll, I'll touch on today, because we're running out of time, is lust. We hear all these sins, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh. We know what they say. We can identify them. But let us look at them closely, lest we fall to the same things by not knowing just, not just what they are, but how to avoid them, how to keep from them. Sex, sexual lust and perversion is a tremendous problem in our society today. It has always existed, and there's nothing new under the sun. An example of that is in Corinth, the group of homosexuals that were in that town were noted in the Bible. The things that we face today, the, the generation of today that we hear about transgenders and gays, and well, they didn't, I don't think they had transgenders back then, but they certainly had uh, homosexuals. It's nothing new. But it's ever more present in our society today, and we as Christians need to be much more aware of these things. And I don't think we have to assault them verbally, but I don't think we have to just give a blind eye to it. Know who you are and know who you are not. 
and make that stand. That doesn't mean you have to shout it from the rooftop, but make your stand, brethren. Let, that, let it be just as clear to them who you are as they do to you. Giving oneself over to impure thoughts. And we all have them. But if we don't control them, it will eventually lead to impure actions. And I particularly say this to the young people. You have to learn what they are. You have to resist them. You have to say, this is who I'm going to be. I said this morning when I was dating my wife, we were very young. And when we decided to get married, I said, this is who we are. This is who we're going to be. And this is the life we're going to pursue. And you have to, have to attack those goals and go after them. No, I'm not going to be that kind of person. I'm going to be a godly person. I'm going to follow after his word. The evil of pornography is also a tremendous, tremendous burden to our society. The adult bookstores that you see along the roadsides break down a community. The conversation in the workplace is just horrible. And it's not just men, brethren. It's women, too. I hear it. I see it. It's mankind. It's not just men. Jesus said that whoever so looketh upon a woman to lust after her has committed adultery already in his heart. Matthew 5, 28. The Bible teaches that there's a proper place for our desires, particularly with this lust issue. That's what marriage is for. And again, young people, when you're dating, keep it in mind. It's for marriage. Contain yourselves. Withhold those things for your husbands and your wives. You'll be so much happier later in your lives that you did. Consider 1 Corinthians 7 and 2. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his wife and every woman have her own husband. It doesn't just fall to the young. It falls to the old and gives instruction to the married couples to avoid these things. Godly men and women will be considered considerate of the fleshly desires of the opposite sex, dress in moderate apparel. In a like manner, Paul said in 1 Timothy 2, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety. Sobriety, sober, serious, taking into consideration who you are. We can fight the inner demon of sexual lust by being faithful to our spouses, by dressing appropriately, by conducting ourselves and not using vulgarity and not, not making jest when other people do things that go in that direction, not participating with them. Peter wrote, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. 1 Peter 2.11. The flesh, brethren, is always working against our spirit to get us to sin and then to get us to remain in sin. And sometimes once you make the first crack, it's easy to let it crumble. When it cracks, don't fall apart. Get back up. Go after it. Follow your face. Follow the word of God. God's given us the tools to overcome our temptations. He's given us the weapons we need to overcome those demons that we have every day, our thought process, our actions, our vulnerabilities. I encourage you to constantly strive to battle those inner demons. Always and every day. Demons of selfishness, of greed, of pride. Romans 11th chapter, verse 27 says, And this is my covenant with them, 
when I take away their sins. When you fall to these sins, God is quick to forgive you. If you repent and change your ways. I would ask you at this time, are you a Christian? Or are you still, whether you're a Christian or not, succumbing to the temptations and the demons that pursue us every day? It's clear that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. He said that he would write in Hebrews 10 to 16, this is my covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their hearts and inscribe them on their minds. As we read in Romans 7, the law of the Lord is written as we learned in the Old Testament and the New, that he will write these words upon your heart if you will receive them. He will incline himself to do so. The psalmist said the law of God is in his heart. His, his steps do not slip. Psalm 40 and verse 8, I delight to do your will, O my God, for your, your law is within my heart. My encouragement to you today is to have the law of God in your heart, to have it written there, to practice it every day, to know what his word says, to recuse yourself from those temptations, pull back, not have anything to do with, don't touch them, don't think them. And when they try to come into your mind, some of you may remember Mrs. Bush, the president's wife several years ago, who said, just say no. Just say no, it's really that easy. Making your mind up and, and determining and deciding what direction you're going to is the first most important thing that we do. Because once you decide, then it's just a matter of which path do I take to get there. The path that we have to take to the Lord is baptism. If you're living in sin and have not named the Lord in baptism, you're lost. If you've been baptized and you're not living according to his word, you're in jeopardy. My encouragement to you is to keep yourself away from these demons, from these lusts and these temptations. You're subject to the invitation of the Lord. Would you come meet me? Give me your hand and your heart to God as together we stand and as we sing. Oh.